0: We're kicking off, uh, or excuse me, going into week two now of our series we're calling Not Without Hope. So if you've got a Bible, uh, go to First Thessalonians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. You've got a physical copy or uh, a digital copy. We'll have it there uh, in the app notes for you as well. Speaking of uh, the app notes, a couple of things I wanted to mention before we jump in uh, to our series. One, as we're going through First Thessalonians, we're encouraging and challenging the entire church to read through and study through uh, this letter from Paul to the Thessalonians uh, as we teach through it. And so this past week, we challenged you, hey, go ahead and read the entire uh, letter. It's only five chapters. Do one chapter a day. I hope you were able to do that. Uh, starting tomorrow, we're going to be sort of uh, breaking it down into smaller little bits and walking through that together. We've got a devotional, sort of a prayer guide and devotional written for you uh, to walk you through that. That'll actually coincide also with our Drivecast, which is our you know, five-minute podcast each day. So those two things will be synced. And so uh, if you have the LifePoint Ohio app, uh, it's all right there. The LifePoint Ohio app, the first thing you'll see is the Drivecast. Click the Drivecast. You can listen to it as we go through it together. And also the prayer guide and devotional is there for you as well. If you don't have the LifePoint Ohio app, uh, there's a tab right there at lpguest.com. Just click app. Uh, or search LifePoint Ohio in the Google Play Store or the App Store. Download that and you can follow along as we study through uh, First Thessalonians as we teach through it as well. Second thing I wanted to mention, uh, life groups kick off today and all of this week. If you've been part of LifePoint for any length of time, you know how critical our small groups, our life groups are to the life and discipleship of our church. If you're new to LifePoint, that's a huge thing for us. We gather large on Sunday mornings and in this context, but then we gather rather small in our homes, uh, in these smaller groups, these life groups, and so I cannot encourage you enough if you don't have a group uh, to do that, to get into a group. Everything we're gonna talk about this morning, everything we're studying through in this series as far as uh, following Christ is not something we do in isolation, it's something we do in community. One of our core values is authentic community. We do that together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that happens for us mainly in the context of our life groups. So if you don't yet have a group, maybe you have a friend, a brother or sister in Christ who's already in a group, please ask them about that group, jump in. Uh, If you don't have a group and you don't know where to start, if you're at our website, lifepointohio.com, just click the get connected tab and you'll see, there's a section right there that says, how do I get into a group? You can reach out to us. We would love to help you plug into a group uh, this week. Having said all that, here's the big idea of this series, something we're gonna say every single week, and it's this, that Jesus is the source of enduring hope. That Jesus is the source of enduring hope. I told this to our Delaware campus last week, that if our hope, if our hope for the future, and I think the way Dean has, Pastor Dean has defined this, is this ability to look and and see a better future. Well, if if your ability to see a better future, if your hope is attached to, Circumstances or to people or things other than Christ, you're going to find that those things ultimately fail you and that you're in for a bit of a roller coaster ride because the reality is that circumstances change and people, they fail you. We fail one another, we're fallible human beings. We're not perfect, we do fail one another. So when you attach your hope ultimately to people or things that aren't Christ, you're gonna find that my hope goes up and down with those things. But when your hope is tethered to or anchored to the unchanging character of God and to the finished work of Jesus at the cross, then you find that you have a hope that is sure, a hope that endures, and a hope that causes you to endure, a hope that lasts in the midst of those difficult circumstances because it's, it's attached to this unchanging thing, the unchanging character of God, the steadfastness of God, and to the already accomplished work of Jesus when he died for our sin and rose again that we might have new life in him. And that is sure. And that's why we're saying Jesus is the source of enduring hope all throughout the course of the series. And that's a major theme in 1 Thessalonians. As Paul is speaking to this young church, here's the background of this Uh, this letter. Paul and his companions have planted the church there just a couple of years before, and then they were met with persecution. They were forced out of the town, and actually the people who were persecuting them followed them 50 miles to the next town to persecute them there. And so this little church, this young church, is left in the midst of that, and so the apostle Paul, at one point in time, he's so concerned about them, he sends Timothy, his coworker, back there to say, man, just check on them. How are they doing? Timothy comes back, says they're doing great. They've got joy, and they're persecuting persevering because their hope is attached to Christ and so now Paul writes this letter to them to say hey good work and keep going and I want to encourage you and he pastors them on just a number of levels but something he says repeatedly to them is man you guys are enduring you're persevering you've got joy and hope even in the midst of suffering and persecution we talked through some of that uh, last week in chapter one. Uh, here in chapter two, let me just summarize the first part of it for you. Paul uh, kind of goes back and goes over their ministry there. He reminds the Thessalonians of just how much uh, that he and Silas and uh, T- Timothy loved them. And he says, man, we were there. And he says, we were, like, we were like mothers to you. We were like fathers to you. We exhorted you and encouraged you and took care of you. And we worked really hard, so we wouldn't be a burden to you. We love you guys and did love you well while we were there. And then in verse 13, he says this, starting in verse 13. And he says, we also thank God constantly for this. We also thank God constantly for this. And something I told our folks last week, I'll say it again now, as you pray, Just note what he said there. We also thank God constantly for this. As you pray, let there be praise along with petition. Yes, ask God for stuff. He delights to hear from his children. As we ask him, Lord, I wanna see you do this, but don't forget to thank him as well. Don't forget to pause as you go to ask him and you've got the list of things. God, these are things I wanna see. Don't forget to pause and say, Lord, here are the things that we've seen you do. And I wanna thank you for the ways in which you've moved in our lives. Don't don't wait for the Thanksgiving uh, moment to sit around the table as a family or as an individual to sit and just go over, Lord, what all have you done? And I wanna thank you for that. What are Timothy and Paul and these guys, Silas, thanking God for? They say, we're thanking God for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. We're thanking God for this, that when you received the word of God, when you heard the gospel and the teaching of the scriptures, which he says you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And I was hoping to go through 14 and 15 and 16. We're gonna actually park here on 13 for pretty much the entire time. So when he says, you guys received this word from us, that word received, right? That word received carries along with it this idea of passing on a tradition, of passing on this thing that we've received from the generation before us, now we're passing it on to you. It's actually the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses three and four. Here's how Paul says this to the Corinthian church. He says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Same word, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So he basically gives them the gospel in a nutshell. Here's what I received. I received this news, this good news, that Jesus died for our sins, that we might be forgiven. He stood in the gap for us and took the wrath of God against sin for our sin, that we might be the recipients of God's grace in accordance with the scriptures. It's the fulfillment of everything God has said in the Old Testament, Christ is. And he says, and then in accordance with the scriptures, he was raised on the third day, buried and raised to new life that we might have new life in him. And he says, I received that and then delivered it to you. And that's something I wanna highlight. I know that may sound like a, a duh statement, but for something to be received, it has to be delivered. For something to be received, Someone's gotta do the delivering. And I wanna lean into us this morning and ask that question, church, are we doing the work of delivering the gospel to those around us, to the next generation? Maybe think of it this way, all right? As we think about the gospel and the word of God, this, this tradition and not tradition in a bad sense, right? This good, like we've been given this and I want you to think about it maybe like a, like a torch, right, a torch that you pass from one person, a baton, right, Uh, whatever helps you think about it best. But this idea of passing the torch, we are now at 20 centuries worth of believers. If you take a generation to equal 20 years, we are now at 100 generations of Christians who have faithfully passed the torch, one to the other through suffering, right? So think about this, Christians, twenty a gen- hundred generations, 20 centuries of Christians who have been mocked, persecuted, who have suffered, who've been driven out of their homes, fed to lions, drawn and quartered, sawn in two, burned at the stake, mercilessly hounded, sometimes just by general cultural pressure, sometimes the official policy of the governments under which they've lived, they've endured that a hundred generations of Christians faithfully passing on the torch in the midst of that. It's good for us to know our history. Let me just share with you a few of these stories. Some of us have probably heard this one, the story of Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. These are bishops in England Uh, In the 16th century, they were Protestant reformers trying to reform the church and as a big conversation, but the the basis of it in some ways is they were saying, man, we, we want the gospel, the word of God, because they believed it to be the word of God, as Paul's talking about here, not just words of men, but the very words of God. He's like, we want this accessible to the masses. We don't, want to have to, we don't want people to have to sort of uh, have their relationship uh, entirely governed through and by the hierarchy of the church. We want the scriptures available to people so they can read it, translated into the common languages so people can have access to the word of God. And that was not a popular sentiment at times, particularly when a queen came to the English throne, Queen Mary I. And uh, she did not like that idea. And these two bishops found themselves in prison. And then eventually... Uh, to be executed and Scott Hubbard a pastor uh, writing an article on this says it this way he says Ridley was the first to strengthen his friend as they're about to be burned at the stake he said be of good heart brother for God will either assuage the fury of the flame or else strengthen us to abide it and as the bundle of sticks caught fire beneath them Latimer had his turn raising his voice so Ridley could hear he cried be of good comfort Master Ridley and play the man we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out." Three years later, Mary the died. She passed the kingdom on to her half sister, Elizabeth, a Protestant queen and, and Latimer and Ridley's candle, Hubbard writes, burst into a torch. Many of us, some of us may know that story. Probably fewer of us know that there was a story that happened 1400 years earlier, uh, that in many ways inspired that story story of a an early christian leader a bishop named polycarp polycarp was arrested and killed around AD 155 in the early roman empire uh, roman officials came in the roman empire as christianity was growing the empire had sort of this weird relationship with christianity where at times it was somewhat tolerant or even just kind of ambivalent and then at times outright persecution of believers And what happens here is that persecution uh, starts up and flares up and Roman officials come to arrest Polycarp. He's 86 years old at this point in time. And the story of how he handles this moment became sort of legendary in the church. It was passed on for centuries and centuries. He welcomes these Roman officials in and he offers them dinner as they come to arrest him. And as they sit down to eat, As the story goes, and I've been listening to this, a guy by name of Lance Ralston has this great little podcast called The History of the Christian Church. And as he tells it, Polycarp goes into another room and he composes himself through prayer. And he comes back and he talks with these Roman officials and his treatment of them, the kindness that exudes from him, literally kind of shames them because they're there to arrest him. When he comes before the magistrate uh, at his execution, the magistrate looks at him, he's 86 years old. and He's like, come on, man, right? Just, just renounce your faith so we don't have to go through this. He kind of has pity on him because he's 86 and he even lowers the bar for recanting his faith. Typically you had to go through a three-step process where you would invoke some of the names of the pagan gods and then you would have to worship Caesar and then you'd curse Christ. And he says, look, if you'll just say away with the atheists, like, what do you mean the atheists? That's Christians in the early centuries because they didn't worship the pantheon of Roman gods were considered atheists by the, by the Romans. And so he says, if you'll just say away with the atheists, we can have this done with, and Polycarp refuses. In fact, here's what he says to him, 80 in six years I have served Jesus and never once did he wrong me. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The magistrate warns him repeatedly One point in time, Polycarp asked the magistrate, do you want me to give you an explanation of what it means to be a Christian? The magistrate gets very angry, tells him, man, I'm gonna turn you over to the beasts, the wild beasts. Polycarp basically says, do what you need to. At one point in time, he tells him, I'm gonna tame you with fire. And Polycarp looked back at him and said, I'm gonna paraphrase here, but basically that fire that you're threatening me with right now, it lasts for an hour and then it burns out. But the fire of eternal judgment, when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, he says that lasts for eternity. And then he was burned at the stake. When I heard this story, I thought about Jesus's words in Matthew 10, 28. He told his disciples, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And these are hard words, but Jesus is saying, guys, don't, I know it's hard, but don't be afraid even unto death, don't be afraid of those who just have authority over the physical body. He says, no, fear him in a good way, fear him, trust him, him who has authority over us for eternity and who has the power right, to cast into heaven and in hell, who sent his son that we might be forgiven and brought into relationship, Right, trust him, fear him. Don't, don't be afraid of those who can just kill the body. Ladies, if you're wondering, right, where the story of the ladies, there are many stories of ladies, faithful ladies and martyrs martyrs through the history of the Christian church. I'll give you uh, the story of two here, Perpetua and Felicity. About 50 years after Polycarp, there's this young mother living in the city of Carthage, around 8200, and the emperor of Rome declares it illegal for anyone to convert to Judaism or Christianity. And the governor there decides he's gonna enforce that edict. And Perpetua and five of her companions, Felicity was one of those, they had converted to the faith and they were getting ready for baptism. They were baptismal candidates. And that was a clear violation of this edict that no one was allowed to convert over to Judaism or to Christianity. And so they're thrown into prison and eventually fed to the beasts in the Roman arena. And Perpetua kept a diary during the entire thing. Her diary was read, for hundreds of years in the church. And in that diary, she tells the story of what these companions were going through. She talks about Felicity, who was a slave in the Roman empire, who gave her life to Christ. She gives birth in the midst of prison, gives birth and life to this child, gives the child to another family to be cared for. I mean, these women are extraordinary. In the midst of prison, perpetuous father comes and pleads with her to recant her faith. Just Just renounce your faith so you can live. And Perpetua says no to her earthly father, so she can say yes to her heavenly father. And She maintains her faith, her and all of those companions, Felicity, the other four companions stay true to the faith and then they're killed for it. And as I tell these stories and as I went over these stories myself, I, I don't know about you, but in some ways they're inspirational and in some ways they're deeply convicting around this, Lord, do I believe like that? Do I trust you like that? I I think when we think about, Lord, what prepares us for that moment? Well, I don't have all the answers here. One, I would imagine, I mean, we've gotta be really convinced, like these people, convinced that the gospel is true, convinced that Jesus is the source of our enduring hope convinced of the realities of what the scriptures talk about convinced like what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians he says you guys heard it from us and you accepted it not as the word of men not as just your tradition not as some nice ideas but as what it really is the word of God we've got to be convinced Lord Jesus you're the only one who has the words of life and my life my hope my future my eternity it's in you such that even if I were to have to face death early from a human perspective for the sake of the faith, oh Lord, help me to believe like that. And you know what? I think it's okay if you're a little bit like me going, I don't know, to say, Lord, help me. Lord, increase my faith. Like the person in scripture who said, Lord, I believe and help my unbelief. God, will you help me? And then to trust this, that God empowers us by the Holy Spirit and he gives us what we need when we need it. I heard a older man recently talking about as he approaches right the end of his life, he said the words of the song, he will hold me fast are becoming increasingly dear to him. And I just went over the words of that song this past week When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. And when the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast. For my savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. And so the Christian life, I think in some ways is this dual, right? Lord, I'm clinging to you. I'm holding on to you through life's fearful path, but I'm trusting that you're holding on to me, that I'm shielded and guarded through faith. And I believe and I'm trusting you, Jesus, that you will hold me fast. And as we cling to our Savior and as we trust Him, and as we believe and stand on that promise that he will hold us fast, we then faithfully do the work of passing on the torch to the next generation, passing on the faith and saying, Lord, we wanna receive it, believe it, and deliver it then to the next generation. And as I, as I just thought about this over the last couple of weeks, 2000 years now, of believers, not even mentioning the Old Testament saints before them, a hundred generations of saints who have persevered under the hardest of trials and passed on that that torch. I thought to myself, Lord, let us do the faithful work of passing it on. Let's not drop it now. And I don't believe we will. Let's believe the Lord for better things. And let's say, Lord, strengthen us. Help us to believe this, to trust you, hold us fast, and let us pass that torch on to the next generation. Because for something to be received, for them to receive it, it has to be delivered. Now let's look back at verse 13. He says, that's just on the word received. When you receive the word of God, he says, which you heard from us. Second thing I wanna highlight here is this word accepted. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers." This is something that Paul has said to the Thessalonians already in chapter one. He says, guys, part of how I know that God's been at work in your life, maybe you're listening right now and you're just seeing God do some things in you. You're like, man, I'm changing. Uh, Forgiveness is flowing out. Like I'm able to forgive people that I've never been able to forgive before. We got an email from someone this week sharing that with us that she said, I never thought I'd be able to forgive this person. God has brought me to the point of being able to forgive. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit. And Paul has told the Thessalonians, part of how we know that God's at work among you is we're seeing the life transformation. And when you heard the word of God, you didn't just receive it. You didn't just get it. You didn't just get the information. You believed it. That word accepted, you accepted it. You received it and believed it as the word of God. And it's at work in you. So some of us listening right now, Um, maybe you're brand new to the faith, brand new to the church. And to be honest, this is kind of the first time in your life that you're even receiving the gospel, receiving the tradition, receiving the faith and hearing it. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you not only receive it, but that you believe it, that you accept it and you find that the word of God is at work in you. As you say, man, this, this thing, the Bible, the gospel, like I really believe it's true. Others of us, you're listening to this and this is stuff that that maybe you've grown up in the church and you grew up in a Christian home, you've been receiving it your whole life. And I would just press into you this morning and say, hey, there's a difference between hearing and hearing. You notice Jesus, right? He would tell a parable and then he'd say, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. There's a difference between receiving, yeah, I got the information, and accepting, which leads to transformation. We say that a lot here at Life when we're not just, we're not just after information, the passing on of information, we're after life transformation. And that requires, right? God doing something in you, unblinding the eyes and you saying, man, I'm not only receiving this, but I'm, I'm accepting it and believing it and trusting the Lord through it. And so can I, Can I lean into, particularly to those of us who maybe have been around this all our lives. You're like, I know all this. I've heard all this information. Will you do an honest assessment of your life today and ask the question, yeah, but is the word of God at work in my life? Have I truly accepted it? I know the information. I've received the torch. Are you running with it? Is it a flame? Do you have a relationship with Christ, a life-giving relationship with him or just information about him? And as I thought about this, I thought about Jesus' words concerning the four soils. Right? Where he said, you know, the sower went out and sowed the seed, the gospel went out, and for some he said it's like it's like hitting a path. It's hard and there's no understanding there, and he says the enemy comes and immediately snatches it away. Others, he said, right, the soil of the heart, it's, it's like rocky soil. He says, some, some of us receive it and immediately, right, it's joy, that's amazing. But he says, there's no depth. So when perse- persecution comes, when trial comes, because there's no depth and no root there, says you, you fall away. Others, he says, that comes and it's thorny soil. You're like, what is thorny soil? He says, it's the soil where the seeds seem to take root Then he says two things, says the cares of life, the anxieties of life, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, these thorns, the deceitfulness of riches, choke it out so that it doesn't bear any fruit. And then he says, there's the, the good soil, the heart of the person that receives the gospel and it bears a fruit, it reproduces 30, 60, 100 fold. Once again, can I ask you just to do an honest assessment of where you are today and say, Lord, what is the soil in my heart? Am I receiving the word? Am I accepting the word? Is it producing a fruit in my life? And if you're like Cale, to be honest, no. <laughs> it's been the thorny soil, the rocky soil. Maybe just the path, right? It's like the gospel seeds going there, but it's just not making a dent. Ask the Lord, Lord, will you help me? Soften my heart, unblind my eyes. God, I don't wanna just hear this stuff. I wanna receive it and accept it and believe it. And I wanna be alive in you such that you produce a fruit in my life that I persevere in the midst of suffering and trial. And I help bring others to you in faith. So if I were to summarize church, let's pray that God would make us a people like the Thessalonians, that we would receive the word, not just receive it, but accept it, that we would produce fruit, enduring hope, perseverance, and joy in the midst of trial, and that we would faithfully pass on the torch to the next generation that others might hear, believe, and be saved. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray, um, God, for those of us who have uh, grown up receiving the, the tradition, receiving and hearing the gospel. Some of us have been uh, in it, Father, for so long, it's like the wallpaper of our life. God, I pray that it would be much more than that. And Father, by your Holy Spirit, you would do the work in some of us even right now of bringing that information to life that it might result in salvation and transformation. God, guard any of us from just going through the motions. And Father, I pray for that person this morning who has been in the Christian environment, has Christian friends, Christian parents, right? Around the church, but just says, I honestly don't understand what everyone is excited about or why there's joy here. I've never experienced that. God, may today be the day. And then, Father, I pray for the person who's maybe listening today, and this is the first time they've ever really heard the gospel, heard that they're a sinner in need of a savior and that you so loved us, you provided that savior, sent that savior, Jesus, in our place who died in accordance with your plan, who rose again in accordance with your plan, and who offers us new life. God, I pray for that person today that they would not only hear that, but believe it, receive it, accept it, and find new life in you. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.